In the 1890s, a writer in New York City coined the phrase, the 400. It referred to the number of people in the city who were said to really matter. You know, the society A-listers of the Gilded Age. One reporter claimed that 400 was therefore the number of people who could fit into Mrs. Astor's ballroom. Well, that turned out to be fake news. She could accommodate fewer than 300. But you know who could hold a gala in the 1890s for 400 friends, family, and social and political elite? A farmer named Leonard Roan. It was right here, dead center. Hi, I'm Katie O'Toole from the Center County Historical Society. In 1894, singing, speech-making, and good food helped to make Leonard Roan's party one of the most talked-about social events of the year in Center County. The Lewisburg and Tyrone Railroad dropped off guests at the Gregg Station Whistle Stop, conveniently located in the far corner of Roan's farm. One of the local newspapers described the occasion in a series of sentences, each punctuated with an exclamation point. What a lively scene it presented. Flags waving in the breeze or artistically draped. People arriving from all directions. Leonard Roan, his gracious wife, and two charming daughters, with pleasant smiles and warm handshakes, made this welcome yet more emphatic. It was quite a show. Because they had carriages go down to the railroad stop, the flag stop, and brought people up here. There were hundreds and hundreds of people. There were tents. There was food. Uh, there were addresses by the family members. You know. That's James Lesher. He's the executive director of Roney Mead, Inc., the nonprofit that still welcomes visitors to Leonard Roan's home. The occasion for the party was the 100th anniversary of Leonard's beloved farm. He called it Roney Mead a German-derived name that means Rhone's Meadow. Just before dinner, he offered this toast. May the homestead remain another hundred years in the Rhone family. Now, Rhone Mead was not exactly a Gilded Age estate. Yet Rhone's guest list included prominent lawyers, Harrisburg politicians, even the state ornithologist. That's right, the bird expert was there. What were they all doing on a farm on the outskirts of Center Hall? Well, here's what you need to know about Leonard Roan. Nobody could throw a party like he could. So committed was he to community get-togethers that an annual picnic he started in the 1870s is still one of Center County's largest social gatherings. You've probably been to it. It's called Grange Fair. That was his baby. I picture what you get out of Ag Progress now, in a sense. Brotherhood, you know, reconnect. James Lesher knows a lot about Leonard Roan. Yet he's not a descendant. So as you might have guessed, Leonard got only part of his wish when he hoped that Mead would remain another hundred years, which it has, in the Roan family, which it has not. The two charming daughters mentioned in the newspaper article... They either couldn't or didn't want to keep the farm. And I'll get to that in a minute. But they were Roan women. There was spunk in their DNA. The bronze plaque says it. Built 1853. James is referring to the plaque on the door of the house at Roanymead. 
If you do the math, you might ask why Leonard Roan celebrated the farm's centennial in 1894, when the plaque says that it was built in 1853, just 41 years earlier. I had that question. Oh, uh, his grandfather, Michael Roan, Leonard Roan's grandfather, Michael Roan, came up here from Berks County and purchased the property from a guy named Straub, who could have been a land speculator. And so that was the first time that the Roan family set foot on the property. Turns out the land had been deeded to Straub by the family of William Penn. On September 15, 1794, 100 years before Leonard's party, Straub sold the land to Michael Roan. Michael was up to the task of pioneering. His Berks County boyhood had overlapped with the Revolutionary War. As a teenager, he often made risky trips to provide supplies to George Washington's army, notably when it was camped at Valley Forge. Following the war, he spent several years traveling and eventually settling in the Wild West, which at that time included central Pennsylvania. This was before the iron plantations had timbered much of the land. Michael and his wife Catherine were actual pioneers in the literal sense of early settlers who migrated west and carved their homes from the wilderness. One 19th century historian claimed that Michael Roan possessed unusual strength and endurance. Here's what he said about Catherine. She seems to have been amply endowed with physical strength and a spirit capable of overcoming all hardships. One of Catherine's habits was carrying seeds in her pocket, apple seeds from back home in Berks County. She would scatter them as she meandered over the land. That might well have resulted in the fruit orchards that covered some 20 acres by the time her grandson Leonard threw his memorable party. The newspaper accounts of the centennial noted the many well-trimmed trees. It's almost a foreshadowing of what would become of Mead in the 21st century. But back to the family tree. The home that Michael and Catherine built in 1805 was a two-story cabin with immense fireplaces on each floor. It was simple but sufficient for their growing family. Two years after it was completed, their second son Jacob was born at Ronymead. Jacob never left the homestead. He attended a nearby school. He got involved in local politics. And when he married Sarah Kerstetter, he brought his bride to Ronymead. There she gave birth to nine children. Number two was Leonard Roan, born in 1833. When Michael and Catherine Roan died, Jacob bought the farm from his brother and sisters, who had shared the inheritance. Now that Jacob was the master of the homestead, he decided to replace the log cabin with a grander home, in the Georgian style that was then popular. Leonard was 16 years old when construction began. It was a slow process, since most of the timber and hardware had to be hauled to the site by horse-drawn wagons. The bricks were likely fired on the site. Jacob found someone to help him dig the foundation. Leonard helped, too. Then, tragedy struck. Just as they were breaking ground for the foundation and the materials were showing up on the site, Leonard Roan's father died. It was a quick and unexpected death from typhoid pneumonia, a case so severe that Jacob's doctor claimed to be baffled by it. 
His widow, Sarah, was surely devastated, but undaunted. His mom was left with this huge farm to run, this hole in the ground, and a pile of kids. <laughs> Sarah won the respect of her neighbors for her shrewd management of the estate and her ability to oversee the construction of the new house. Sarah would outlive her husband by more than four decades. In fact, at the centennial celebration, one of the musical selections featured 84-year-old Sarah singing several stanzas of a German song. Her voice was described as strong and sweet. It was said that she conversed among the guests all day without apparent fatigue, and that her presence was one of the party's highlights. Then there's this fun fact about Sarah Kerstetter Roan. At the time of her death, she and her twin sister were the oldest pair of twins in the county, if not the state of Pennsylvania. After his father died, Leonard wasn't yet the man of the house. But his older brother would soon be off to dental school, eventually becoming Belfont's leading dentist. For now, Leonard picked up where Jacob had left off. And because his dad died at the very time that the house was starting to be built, we have a whole list of the building materials that went into the house, which I think is a rare glimpse into an architectural past. Not every house has that. And so since it's a legal document, everything's enumerated. We have 75,000 bricks apparently were fired to make the house. I mean, just the, the data like that is really, it brings, brings it to life. This is the kitchen L. This a walk through the house here. also brings it to life. On a tour of the mansion, James points out the ornate fireplace in the west parlor, the perfectly preserved pine floors, the door thresholds polished to a high gloss from decades of foot traffic, and the architectural flourishes along the curved staircase. I don't think that would have been an apprentice job necessarily. <laughs> that would have been the master's work. The spacious living areas would have been put to good use because in 1864, Leonard married Mary Margaret Sankey from nearby Potter's Mills. For a while, they shared the house with Leonard's mother, Sarah, and three unmarried sisters. Two years later, Mary gave birth to a daughter, May. Three years after that, their second daughter, Florence, was born. It's easy to envision Roney Mead as a party house, and as I've said, Nobody could throw a party like Leonard Roan. But the social event he became most closely associated with did not take place at Ronymead. The story of the Grange Fair begins with Isaac Newton. Aha! Uh -huh. No, not that Isaac Newton. I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln's first Secretary of Agriculture. When Lincoln established the Agriculture Department in 1862, many of his advisors urged him to appoint a distinguished scientist to head it. So maybe it was Lincoln's famously wry humor that compelled him to pick Isaac Newton. He was not a scientist. He was a Pennsylvania farmer from Delaware County. A progressive farmer, for sure. His farms were considered models of modern agriculture. They made use of new inventions and the latest research on climate and weather patterns. Newton believed in collecting statistics and conducting chemical analyses of soil, fruits, vegetables, grains, and manures then speeding the results of those studies directly to farmers. Clearly, he was highly qualified. But his appointment by Lincoln may have been greased by his weekly gifts to the White House. Tubs of butter from his dairy farm. At the end of the Civil War, 
Newton sent one of his employees on a fact-finding tour of southern farms. The agent was astounded by the condition of the war-torn plantations and by the backward methods of farming. In 1867, the agent and his boss, Isaac Newton, started a campaign that they called the National Grange of the Order of Patrons of Husbandry. The rather verbose title was quickly shortened to the Grange Movement. Its goal was to establish local associations around the country that would be like fraternities for farmers. They could get together both for camaraderie and to discuss the challenges of rural living. Well, Leonard Roan was all about that. Even in his teeming household, he would have understood the isolation and tedium that marked the life of a 19th century farm family. So when he heard about the Grange movement, he made it his mission to bring the Grange to Center County. In 1873, Leonard held a picnic in a grove of trees called Leech's Woods, west of Center Hall. It was an afternoon event where farm families played games and ate a picnic dinner. And then Leonard spoke to the gathering about the Grange, about its potential to improve their lives through education, networking, and friendship. It's impossible to know whether it was the speech or the food, but the picnickers asked Leonard to do it again in 1874. By then, Leonard had established the Grange principles enough to call that gathering a Granger's Picnic. Mahatma Gandhi once famously said, Be the change that you wish to see in the world. Now, nobody quotes Leonard Roan, but maybe we should. Here's what he said at an early Granger's Picnic. Let us sit down together and face our problems as if we had the power to do something about them. By planning like people who controlled their lives, we soon become such people. The Granger's Picnic quickly became a highly anticipated annual event. The site moved from year to year. The Belfont Old Fairgrounds, the campus of the Pennsylvania State College, a grove at the top of Mount Nittany, until finally it found a permanent home in Center Hall, on 26 acres of land bought specifically for the use of the Grange. The National Grange was organized into three levels. The most basic was the subordinate Grange, which might consist of a single township or farm community. Next was the Pomona Grange, the countywide organization. The third level was the State Grange. Leonard Roan served at all three levels as master, the highest office. He must have been uh, a really charged up character and he must have been able to get people to to join his cause because he was reelected for so many years for 18 years running he was it's the longest term a grange master has held for the state at the state level ultimately he sat on the executive committee of the national grange he also served a few years in the state legislature and on the board of trustees at penn state he traveled tirelessly throughout the state and country, always coming back with new ideas and committed to building the networks needed to share those ideas. He was instrumental in bringing railroads to Center County, securing rural free delivery of the mail, and promoting a primitive telephone exchange. He was well-educated, and he could speak well, and farmers needed a voice to uplift them and to, to promote their causes. Combine Leonard's prominence in the Grange movement with the political firepower produced by Belfont, which would become known as the Cradle of Governors, 
And it's not surprising that Leonard's Ronymead party was the place to be on that day in 1894. And yet, it wasn't long after he publicly wished for Ronymead to stay in the Rhone family for a hundred years that he moved out and a tenant family moved in. He would have been about in his early 60s, and so he, he could have been beat up by that, that physically. And and the, the fair was taking hold. It was really becoming something. So he, he was becoming an event organizer. His annual picnic had by now become a multiple-day agricultural fair. Leonard might have moved to Center Hall because he felt compelled to be closer to the action, or because his wife's health was failing and she needed to be closer to a doctor. His mother, Sarah, was dead by now. But what about his daughters, May and Florence? Well, Leonard practiced what he preached when it came to education. May and Florence had attended the one-room school that was about a half-mile from their home. They might have gone to Penn State, but Leonard had had a falling out with college administrators. He was on the board of trustees at, at Penn State for a couple years. And the quote I read from him was that he said... They considered me an imp. <laughs> now, he was a short man, but I, I think he was a bit of a troublemaker, and you know, the Grange saw the university going another direction. Instead of attending Penn State, May went to a women's academy near Baltimore. Florence headed west to the Lewis Academy in Wichita, Kansas, where she lived with an aunt and uncle. Now, here were two attractive, well-educated, politically connected, eligible young women. Leonard surely must have prayed that they'd marry and settle down at his beloved Ronymede. Or did he? James Lesher has pondered that question for years. Yeah, I, to not get married and not have, not have families, I often wondered if it was something they appreciated that he did for the farm class or if he was um, if he was tough the more details we got about this the more fascinating it seemed to look through the window and uh, to realize that they forwent their own lives in a sense just to take care of their father over the years they didn't get married they were schooled they were sent off and eventually they both came back after finishing her higher education may had been trained as a stenographer she became the chief clerk in the Department of Zoology of Pennsylvania. May and Florence had grown up with the Grange movement, so it could be that the daughters were as dedicated to the Grange as their father. He gave up Ronymead, and they gave up social lives of their own to support his vision, and eventually to take care of him in the Center Hall house, just down the road from the Grange fairgrounds. So Leonard was living there with Florence for about 10 years or so until he died in 1917. Within a year or two after his death, they got married. But first, they they traveled. They traveled. <laughs> they traveled around the U.S. by train. They traveled. They went down to Mexico. At a time when women rarely traveled alone, May and Florence couldn't seem to sit still now that they didn't need to look after Leonard. I have postcards that they sent back from Germany. I mean, they did Europe. I think they went down the Rhone River, they, cruises, the works. Like the good Grangers that they were, they shared their adventures with the farm communities back home. 
Lengthy letters describing their travels were published in newspapers in Center County, Altoona, and Tyrone. The sisters were well into middle age when they finally married. The announcement in the Altoona Tribune of May's marriage to Wilton Dunlap contained these intriguing lines. Dr. Dunlap is also a native of Center County. In fact, he and Miss Roan were schoolmates, and it is believed that their marriage is the realization of a youthful dream of both. Both May and Florence settled with their husbands in Tyrone. They sold Roney Mead in 1937, perhaps to finance their travels. Maybe because they didn't want to deal with the aftermath of a fire that had burned the old barn to the ground that year. Or it could be that they just didn't want to be burdened anymore. Under new ownership, Ronymead remained a working farm through the 1960s. Leonard had put it on the map in the 19th century, but it would have become just one more quaint farmhouse were it not for the man who kept it on the map in the 20th century. Here's what happened. The land was sold to a developer who had plans for a housing project that would be built around Ronymead. But economic recessions in both the 1970s and 80s dashed those plans. Enter Richard Morgan. Uh, there was a real estate ad in the newspaper. Come get this amazing property, you know, with the great views and the historic house, you know. He was at the right time in the right place. He was almost completely retired from Penn State, and I guess he wanted a project, and he had the, the means. That was in 1984. His area of expertise at the university? Molecular biology. The short version is that he, he was a medical doctor and didn't want to work with sick people anymore. And at the same time, he said, James, I fell in love with the DNA molecule models by Watson and Crick. That pulled him into that world. So in retirement, he poured his fascination with molecular models into works of art, while also restoring the house and gardens at Ronymead. Uh, in a neat story way, that translated into, well, after his retirement, he really dabbled and, and got into to sculpture. He liked to, to knock on marble, and he loved the bronze casting process. On a walk around the grounds, visitors can see both sculptures that Dr. Morgan collected from other artists and his own works. James points out one that's a favorite touch piece for kids. It's a fun piece. The bodies are, what are they doing? Are they getting washed in a current or something? Or are they tied together? Are they trying to separate? Or the appendage is somewhat amphibious. I don't know. There's all kinds of things going on there. So Ronymead today is a sculpture garden. But Dr. Morgan did more than that. And he makes a garden out here, this little brick garden out here. And then he goes out a little farther and maybe plants a line of trees. And then he gets a landscape architect in here and they walk the grounds. And the landscape architect says, looks around at the big old trees that Leonard Roan plants, and says, well, you've practically got an arboretum here. And so Richard has these ding, 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 ding moments. And he had a lot of those over the years, of course. He was easily inspired. So he called it an arboretum. Arboretum doesn't begin to describe what Richard Morgan created. There's a labyrinth circle, a zen-like pond that invites meditation, a two-acre pollinator garden filled with wildflowers. And from the imagination of the man who fell in love with the DNA molecule, there's this. We also got interested in crop circles that you heard so much about in England. And 
he wanted to do something out of shrubs and something that could be seen from the sky and so we created what he called a threefold path and it's it's three spiraling paths that go to the center and it has threefold symmetry on display inside the mansion is artwork amassed over the years by dr morgan and there are ever-changing exhibits at the new interpretive center so ronimede is also an art gallery that features painting sculpture photography that typically deal with nature themes this month it's farm animals and and, and in fact there's even a tighter connection because it's Ruth Cazez's paintings of farm animals from Grange Fair. Dr. Morgan died in 2015 but he deeded the house, gardens, and all the lands to his foundation, Ronimede Inc. James worked closely with Dr. Morgan for years as a landscape consultant and historian now, as executive director, he's preserving Dr. Morgan's legacy, and Leonard Rohn's as well. People are still gathering at Ronymead, just as they did at Leonard's 1894 centennial. And if you read the old news accounts of his party, you'll find that today's visitors see some similar sights. Details in the newspaper accounts, I just, I just love to see the thrifty, well-trimmed fruit trees on the property, and... and um, quotes about objects of interest on the grounds. What did that mean? I mean, there's objects of interest on the ground today. I mean, it's almost spooky. <laughs> did we channel something? <laughs> For one day in 1894, Mead must have seemed like the center of the universe to the 400 at Leonard's party. But honestly... Today, you have to be looking for it to find it tucked away on Rimmy Road in Potter Township. When it's discovered by chance, I'll bet it's by bikers exploring Center County's back roads. That's how I found it. What grabbed my attention was not the house or trees or sculptures, but a yellow sign with a bicycle icon and an arrow. I looked to see what the arrow was pointing to. And there it was a structure nestled discreetly among the trees. It wasn't elegant. It wasn't even quaint. It was, well, it was a green porta potty Always a welcome sight to bikers. And they do stop quite a bit. And they need a place to, they need a stop to rest at. <laughs> Not often that you can stop on anyone's property and take care of business. I've got to think that somewhere the old Grange Master is smiling to know that Ronymead is still addressing the challenges that arise in rural areas. See it for yourself. Ronymead is a national historic site. And like this podcast, it's dead center. Today's episode drew from Leonard Roan's Daughters, a Center County Heritage publication by Richard Morgan and James Lesher also from the commemorative Biographical Record of Central Pennsylvania, published by J.H. Beers and Company in 1898. The theme music is titled Coffee Shop. It was composed by David Zeste, and it's licensed by Creative Commons. Other music selections were composed by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and rate and review Dead Center on iTunes. 